Welcome to the Wealth Radar podcast, where we scan the landscape and navigate the noise of investing and personal wealth. I'm Jason Fowler, and I'm joined by my brother Paul. We are certified financial planners from Fowler's Group, and in this episode, we'll be talking to our fellow business partner Paul Horn about his financial planning journey. Yes, welcome, Horny. Your podcast debut, mate. Yes, thank you very much for having me on. Very exciting. <laughs> now, Horny, you, you've been with Fowler's Group now for for quite a while, probably getting close to 30 years, is it? Yeah, it's rough, roughly 27. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, a local boy, and you've always been heavily involved in the in the community, not only through your your sport of choice, which is tennis, but also through the ECU, Electricity Credit Union, or now the Queensland Country Bank, sitting on boards there. Um, so you've done plenty, but to kick things off, mate, um, just give us a bit of a rundown. How, how did you get started in the financial advice business? Yeah, I guess uh, initially it was a, a bit of luck and a bit of uh, coincidence. I, I did a, a commerce degree at JCU down in Townsville, and I was finishing up at the end of 1995, and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Um, I sort of started looking around at what jobs might be available and even even thought about going back and doing doing teaching but Jeez, um, could you imagine that oh, i know i know the, uh, you'd be throwing some dusters yeah. i reckon <laughs> <laughs> and um so as luck luck would have it because i'd always been uh, very good friends with the the fowler family and had gone through high school with uh with brett um um the the fowlers gave me a ring and and sort of were checking on what i was doing after I finished because they were looking at putting on a, a graduate uh, because I suppose at that point in time, um, yeah, Bob and Jill and Jason could see that that uh, financial planning was changing a bit and uh, that they were looking at, I suppose, what uh, what their yeah, team members they might need to add in the future at, at Fowler's Group. So I was lucky enough to have a chat to them and, and be offered a, a graduate-type role straight out of uni. So that was great. I had a job um, and... Um, yeah, so I started in late November uh, 1995, and yeah, I've been here, been here ever since. So, so what do you reckon, mate, that's been the biggest change over that period of time, do you reckon, in the financial planning area? Um, I think well, a couple of things. I think a lot of Australians have become a lot more just aware of financial planning and, and actually the need to get financial advice. I think that's a good thing. I think probably when I when I first started, it wasn't uh, spoken about as as much. Uh, but I think these days people are more aware of the need for advice and 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 looking at getting advice. Do, do you think that's because you know things are, are more readily accessible? You know, you've got Google and, and other search engines where people are oh. searching, say, super funds or investments. Yeah. Is it because of that, or oh, without a or, doubt, look, yep, more and more information also can be dangerous. But definitely these mm. days, with with whether it's social media or just the as you say, the ability to do a Google search and, and what have you, a lot more information available online. And I think that that does um, provide a bit more interest to people as well. But it's still, I suppose, the overwhelming thing is that even with that bit of information, um, yeah, it's still important that I suppose we feel people still, yeah, should get advice and need to get advice. And, um, yeah, not, not everything's DIY, um, even though obviously with the internet these days, things are a lot easier to do if I suppose people want to have an attempt at doing themselves. And when you say, yeah. is it people that... That, like the age group, is it the younger people taking more interest? I assume the older <laughs> generation probably would have still taken interest as you're approaching retirement. Is that what oh, I mean or is it all it, ages across the board? No, I, I think it's all ages across the board and I think for various for various reasons. I think 
with the superannuation guarantee increasing over the years, we've got, um, I suppose, a lot of people who are coming through the workforce now who are in that maybe final 10 years of work that have now actually built up some decent superannuation balances and definitely take a lot more interest in their superannuation and, and you know what it's doing, how it's preparing them for retirement, what else they might need to do. So I think just that growing pool of superannuation has, has sparked interest, particularly in maybe the the generation that it's maybe sort of 10 years or so out from retirement. But I, well, I think with, with younger accumulators, I think they've also shown a lot more interest. Maybe um, they're, as I said, they're, they're definitely reading things online. They're getting information um, from various sources. They have still shown that they, you know, like like to get advice. I mean, obviously, some people are always going to be prone to want to do things themselves. But I think a, a large portion of that younger generation still wants and need to get advice. Yeah. So, mate, but just one of the things you touched mm. on there, super, right? Where we're, you and mm. I and Paul, we're all a generation mm. where basically super guarantees been there since the mm. day we started work. And, and I think when I started, it might have been five or 6%. As you say now, it's now 10 and a half. And if I remember going back 27 years ago, the area that you sort of started in and did a lot of work was in that corporate super yep. arrangement, yep. which has sort of gone a bit by the wayside over recent years as you know, as more regulation and more amalgamations come in. But what, I mean, everyone says, you know, it's always changing, right? You've been doing this for 27 years and you've spent a lot of time in that, you know, talking about super and retirement planning. What do you think have been the big changes over that period of time? Well, I think um, even though a lot of people are wary of, of government changes to superannuation and, and legislation and get worried around budget time that all of a sudden they're going to change a heap of rules, I think in, in my 27 years, m- most of the changes that... Um, both sides of, of uh, politics have, have made to superannuation have actually been quite positive. Um, superannuation is still by far and away the most tax-effective way to save for retirement, without a doubt. And and over the years, various changes that have been made to superannuation have made it even more tax-effective. Uh, I think going back, you know, I think of 27 years ago, there were things called um, you know, transitional or reasonable benefit limits and all these other complex, uh, complex structures that actually taxed or had the potential to tax super at higher amounts, they're all gone now. And, and I think it, it's a, a simpler system that, that actually allows for, you know, uh, some great benefits at retirement and also saving for retirement. So I think even though people get worried about legislation changes, I think over the years, most of them have actually been quite positive. Um, and another thing I think that people have got uh, more aware of these days and, and know that, that it's important is the actual thing of contributing to super. So it's great that, you know, the superannuation guarantee is now up to 10.5% and, in, and increasing a bit further over the next few years, so that's, that's great, but, but that's not enough, and, and I think people have definitely become more aware of that, so... The really important issue is is contributions, and and no matter how much it is, if if people can get more contributions into superannuation at any stage of their life, then that that's important. Uh, a lot of people get hung up in the past, I think, on uh, returns and fees, which are both important. You you want to be getting a reasonable return, and you don't want to be paying too much in fees. But I think people have also um, woken up to the fact that the the overriding or the overwhelming factor is. Uh, is getting those contributions into super. And I think people are becoming a lot more aware of that. Salary sacrifice is a lot more popular these days. Um, people can now get contributions in at any stage through the year. 
and claim a tax deduction on them in their tax return. So that, that's been a great a great change that the government brought in a couple of years ago. So yeah, all, all those things have been have been positive. Mate, I've I've heard you say over the years, um, and and client well clients, mm. I've heard you say this mm. through clients, where and and I've had it as well. And I'm sure you've had clients say this as well over the years, Jason, where you're talking to generally business owners, mm. um, and you start talking about superannuation, do some planning there, um, and you get the the comment that I don't believe in superannuation. What <laughs> when, when they say that? Because you, I know you've heard this yeah, plenty yeah, of yeah. times. What's your response there, or why yeah. why do they have this sort of thought that? It's it's something that you can't believe in. Yeah, it is funny that that comment that yeah I don't I don't believe in super. It's like superannuation's uh, Santa Claus or the <laughs> Easter Bunny or something like that. It's a it's a weird thing. Um, I think yeah the the terminology I, I don't believe in it. I think a lot of business owners and this is going back because I, I think the attitude has has changed a little bit. Is that people saw it as an asset that they that they couldn't use or it was, it was locked away somewhere under some weird set of rules and therefore it, it was all too confusing for them and, oh, that money's not really mine and therefore they'd come out with this comment, oh, I don't believe in super yep. or, you know, what, whatever. Um, so uh, it is a, it, yes, it is a funny comment but it, it, I suppose when, when you do get that comment from, um, from people and particularly in the past it did come often from small business owners because they were focused on... I suppose their business being their retirement asset. Um, so I suppose it's just talking around what super actually is, what what the structure of superannuation is, what the tax benefits are, uh, some of the flexibility that people still have with superannuation in terms of where you can invest it and how it can be utilised. And I think once you make people more aware of how superannuation can actually be used and what it is actually there for. Yeah, I think this concept of I don't believe in in super. I think you can gradually get them to yeah. uh, to to I suppose um, um, yeah be just more aware of superannuation and the and the benefits that come it, with it. Essentially, it's just an investment structure. That, with, that's right. With, with some concessionally ta- yeah. different rules yeah. come tax time and and yep. um, ability to to access it. That's right. It's just mm. it's just a structure that. Um, that gives you this this great tax treatment, but yes, there is a rule there which says you can't actually access it yourself or mm. uh, to to you know get withdrawals or a pension payment out of it until age sixty and over. So it's money that's set aside for you till age sixty, but it comes with some some great tax benefits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mate, what just leading on from that because you know the other comment that you often hear is on oh, my business is my superannuation, mm. yeah. right? Um, which is sort of you touched on there mm. um, that people are focused, which is mm. which is fine because they put their energy into that. But the benefit, obviously, of superannuation is you get an audition and asset, and you know sometimes it's good to have that. What do you think are some examples, or, or can you tell of a story, maybe not necessarily giving any names, of a, a client who's been on that journey that sort of changed over the period of time and had a great outcome? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, with yeah, I think I think back to. Uh, client that we we probably started helping and, and giving um, some advice to back in 2003 so nearly nearly 20 years ago now and um, they'd, they'd initially actually both been um, employees however they they decided to to buy to buy a small business and they're you know both both hard-working people and and put a lot of um, time and energy into, into the business and made a, a real goal of it but right from the start, I suppose they were yeah willing to 
to listen to advice and, and take advice and saw the importance of um, of superannuation and the, the, the tax benefits of it, but also from our diversification point of view. So they were building this this good business, but but also realised the that they couldn't just rely on that. Um, yep, eventually, at some point down the track, the, the business, you know, w- would provide them with a benefit if they did want to uh, to sell it. But they, yeah, always um, their main focus over time was building up their their superannuation assets as as well. And and definitely that that happened over the years. The um, the the business went well. It had you know good cash flow, good profit. They were they were getting as much as they could away in into uh, superannuation, and then it came time that they they were approached to um, yeah there was an interested party that wanted to to buy the business and and at a, a price they were quite happy with. So then the, I suppose the next step in that journey for them was looking at using those proceeds they were getting from sale, uh, selling this successful business they had into into superannuation as well because they they really believed in in the the benefits of superannuation and and, and the taxation benefits so they um uh, yeah then again the, the next step was a a lot of the proceeds from from the sale apart from getting rid of a bit of a debt went went into super and and they're now at a stage where yeah they're really self-funded uh retirees and, and it's due to a few things one is the time and energy that they put into the business and making it a successful business, but also over that time, always you know um, utilizing superannuation to to the full extent it could be used for, and uh, you know the, the best stories are uh, often get rich slow stories, not get yeah. rich quick, um, and and that's exactly what what they did. They yeah they didn't believe they were doing something that was going to you know make them rich overnight, but. But due to some good planning over the years, um, they they're now in a position where they're um, um, where they're doing very well in retirement. So just just one of the things you mentioned there, and I think this is you know, and I know it's what I'm going to ask you about. It's really complicated, mm-hmm. right? So we don't need to <laughs> to get into the depths of it. But one of the interesting things there that you mentioned is that there is an opportunity on the sale of a business to access some different super contribution rules, right? Do you want to just quickly, just at a high level, touch on on that and how that works? Yeah, so with um, with business owners that, that might be looking at, at, at selling their business, there again, um, there's some great advantages from a taxation point of view, in terms of if if the the sale proceeds are utilised uh, to go into superannuation, then there's capital gains tax exemptions that can be accessed there. It is a little bit of a, I suppose, a complicated process to look at which particular capital gains tax exemptions apply, and that depends on the size of the business that's owned, the the length of the period that the the business owners have owned it for, and, and a few other factors. But definitely, it is always a worthwhile thing to look at because um, some people have grown great businesses, but but unfortunately, there there could be potentially a lot of capital gains tax upon sale. So these um, uh, capital gains tax uh, exemptions that are offered uh, through the rules are, are definitely always worthwhile looking at, and and that's something obviously um, their their accountant and 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 an advisor can can help them with just to understand what uh, or which of those exemptions might apply to them and and how to best utilise them. Some of them have certain rules that go with them around 
how quickly those proceeds have then got to go into superannuation to, to make sure you can get that exemption and and things like that. So it, it's always best to get advice. But yeah, definitely there are some, some great um, tax benefits that can be had by rolling or transferring some of those proceeds into, into super. Horny, if I can just touch on the, the clients you were talking about, because there's a great um, success story that you've had, and I know you've got uh, quite a few of them. But as regard to um, the perceived value that, that they saw in, in working with you, working with, with Fowler's group, what, what do you think is the biggest um, uh, bit of value you think they, they, they took from you over that piece of time? Um, well, particularly for those clients, it was um, uh, having a plan and, and sticking to a plan. They, they were um, clients, I think, that really valued both the initial work we did with them but also um, every, every year. And, and they were clients that often would, would you know, uh, talk to me regularly on an ongoing basis throughout the year as well. But they were clients that I think appreciated having – having a plan and some structure and, and really wanted to stick to that plan as they saw that as, as giving them, I suppose, the potential to get the best results. Um, and yeah, I think they were people that just valued, um, yeah, valued having a plan in place and knowing if they, if they stuck to that and, and didn't, you know, get, um, distracted by, by other things that, yeah, that they would, um, you know, achieve the results they wanted to achieve over the long term. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and I mean you've got a, a heap yeah. of clients like yep. this, and I know mm-hmm. you, um, you've. Uh, there's a particular client I, again, won't mention names, mm. but um, we see it all the time. People that work in the the mining industry, uh, etc., that um, earn obviously large large mm. incomes, but not necessarily put it to the to the, to the right <laughs> use at times. Yeah. Um, and I know you've yeah. dealt with a, yeah. a, a quite a number of yeah. different people in the mining industry. Yeah. Have you got any good? <laughs> good stories in regards to that where people actually have have, have done a good job there and set themselves oh, up. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. As you say, uh, people in the in the mining industry, whether they're working in Australia or overseas, can can earn some really good money, and, and so they've got the potential to you know to if they want to put that money aside and really really set them up uh, themselves up down the track. Probably before I get onto the 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 good uh, long term story. The mining industry is also one of those uh, industries where um, people get a lot of hot tips. Um, so, <laughs> so one of the one of the I suppose traps of, and particularly young young fellas working in the mining industry is um, uh, there's many people that in the mining industry that know the next hot stock, and it's usually a mining stock. Yep. Although recently it also became medical marijuana stocks, lithium stocks, and cryptocurrency. Uh, so there was uh, lots of advice, I think, that fellas all work. You know, they're all on site together. They're all sort of living there on the mining site. They all chat a lot. And so it's one of those industries where there's uh, lots and lots of hot tips flying around. Uh, now, I'm not saying that, you know, some of those tips every now and then might might come off, but I think it's, it's important for, and particularly young people in the mining industry who are, who are all of a sudden earning this, really good money to again um you know have a plan and and try to stick to it it's it's all well and good with a little bit of money on the side you might just want to have a bit of a dabble in in something else if you want to but but i think um again uh, yeah use most of that that good income you're earning to to stick to a you know a set sort of long-term plan and 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 a particular client i'm I'm thinking of probably over over the long term who's done a great job of that 
um, yeah, probably probably started um, giving him advice nearly 15 years ago now. And at that point in time, he was unfortunately a person who'd been um, badly impacted by storm. He um, uh, family had had received advice previously off off storm, but, but due to what happened there, he, he'd actually uh, lost a decent amount of of wealth through that. And he knew that the the age he was at that point in time, he still had a fair few years, I suppose, left of his working life, and really wanted to do the best job he could at at growing his wealth uh, again and uh, and making the most of the income that he was earning. So, um, and again, he, he's someone that very much um, stuck to the plan. Um, definitely, you know, at annual reviews and things like that, we'd, we'd, we'd adjust things, I suppose, slightly based on what was happening, but he but he really stuck to, to a set plan over the long term and he knew that at pretty much by age... Uh, 60, he wanted to be in a certain position to, to be able to retire if that's what he wanted to do at age at age 60. And yeah, through his hard work and, and setting himself some goals around debt reduction and, and superannuation, he, he actually very, very easily um, achieved the goals because he really did yeah, stick to what he, he said he was going to do and what we'd outlined for him that was going to work. And, and, it's a, and it's a great story as well because he was someone who was impacted by by storm but still ended up yep achieving what he's what he wanted to achieve yeah yeah they're they're really good stories um but as we said um earlier we've been doing this a long time and with lots of different types of people they're people that have had long term and had the capacity to get there and become self-funded but you know obviously over the period of time we've also dealt with a lot of people either um who are in the older demographic and didn't have super their entire working life or or because of other circumstances, haven't been able to accumulate enough money of their own to be self-funded. So, we, you know, you're, you've always over the years spent a lot of time also dealing with people that involve Centrelink advice and age, age care. What do you think are some key tips for people that have to delve in that world where they've got, a, they've got some wealth, but it's not enough to do everything that they need to do. So they're in that age, care, uh, age pension world. What, what are some of your experiences or tips with those people? You know, um, it has been definitely interesting over the years dealing with with Centrelink, and as you say, part of that's because you know a lot of people who've who've gone through their working life didn't have the benefit of superannuation guarantee and, and things like that. So there's there's that mix of, of clients that that have assets, but still you know yeah definitely rely on on Centrelink, and um, and it, it can be confusing. It's sometimes not the easiest process, or just even the easiest set of rules to to understand so um i think those clients do really value um the the help and advice we're able to give Uh, some of the common things is that um people confuse uh centrelink and retiring at age pension age with certain superannuation rules and they get they get the the two very very mixed up so um you know we we often still have people uh, coming into the office and think they actually can't access their super till say age 67, which is now the the Centrelink age pension age. And I suppose we we go through the process of explaining how superannuation and planning rules around superannuation and withdrawals from superannuation are very very different to um, the 
Centrelink rules for age pension, how you're assessed, when you can start receiving mm. an age pension and all that. So so people do tend to get confused around superannuation rules versus um, Centrelink age pension rules. That's that's a very, very common thing. Um, another another common thing that, that age pensioners do, and again, um, you know, when, when someone comes and sees us, we only know what they're telling us about their situation. But a common thing about age pensioners is my next door neighbour is getting this and they have $2 million and they are still getting the age pension. And that's just a bit of an example of, of some stories we've heard. The problem is we don't know the next door neighbour's full details um, and unfortunately the person telling us this story, they usually don't know the full ins and outs of, of the next door neighbour's full details either. And it's very hard to comment on other people's situations and whether it's a, a couple or whether a part of that couple is a younger person or there's a, there's a whole range of things uh, as to reasons why you shouldn't compare yourself to um, to, to someone else. Mm. But it's, it's very much a common thing when, when we're talking to people about age pension, they tend to compare themselves to a friend or the next door neighbour or someone else they've spoken to. But it's really just important to know that if, particularly if we're giving you advice, where we're looking at your situation and trying to look at, well, yep, what what's going to be the best age pension outcome we can get based on your assets and income? We yep. we we don't know anything about anyone else, um, and it's good for people not to pro to focus on other people's situations because they'll probably only get um, uh, frustrated. The other thing is with Centrelink is. That that thought of frustration is to to try not to get frustrated. There there is a process you've got to go through, and often that process isn't a quick quick process. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just important again to to people to stick with the process. Centrelink will ask for lots and lots of information because they are trying to get the best picture of you as possible um, in terms of both your assets and your income. So people often find it frustrating. Uh, the amount of uh, questions Centrelink will ask. But unfortunately, that is just part of the process. And I think that's where we can help because we do a lot of that work for them in terms of getting getting a lot of the paperwork completed and um, what have you. And that's where I think we've taken some of the stress away from people of, of, of getting a lot of the information prepared, going over and having those meetings with Centrelink um, because, yeah, I think people just find that a, a bit daunting in terms of the the amount of information that he's asked for. Audie, I, mm. I think you've touched on it and I've been mm. lucky enough or I don't know whether lucky enough, to, depending on what day it is, uh, to sit in an office that's next to your office over the last <laughs> probably 10 to 15 years and the walls aren't too thick <laughs> in our office and I, and I have actually heard you deal with Centrelink quite a bit on behalf of your clients um, and I, I did hear you mention clients getting frustrated mm over time and uh, I do actually hear the frustrations that you go through with dealing with, with Centrelink and the battles you go through there. So I can only uh, try and imagine how difficult it would be for a client to deal with Centrelink directly um, as well. So, um, yeah, I can see the value that you do provide your clients. I don't know that your clients necessarily, necessarily see the stress that you go through on their, their behalf. Um, but are there, have you got some stories? And I know I know this because I do hear you, the, the wall speak a bit. But can you can you lend us a couple of stories and some battles that you've actually had with Centrelink over time? Because I know you've had to to really go in and fight for a number of your clients. 
Um, but you've had some great outcomes too. And if you didn't fight, they would have been they would have been in a bit of a hole. Oh, look, definitely with, with Centrelink. It's not that I think Centrelink, you know, are trying to do anything wrong by anyone. I think they do the best job they can, and it's a very large organisation. But they don't always get everything right uh, because they're getting a lot of information from various sources at, at different times. So the way that Centrelink then end up recording things on their system, yeah, sometimes just isn't right. There's been a there's been an error made at, at some point in time. And sometimes those errors or mistakes can um, you know, dramatically Im- impact someone. So yeah, we had a case a, a few years back now whereby um, uh, uh, the client via ourselves had, had provided Centrelink with, with some certain information. Um, and for whatever reason, it just hadn't been recorded properly at, at Centrelink's end. And this had gone on for several years in terms of from when the initial mistake was made. And therefore, the, the, the particular client was receiving a, a slightly higher amount of, of Centrelink age pension than, than you know, maybe what they would have if the, if the original information had been inputted properly. Um, and we, we discovered the error um, ourselves, and um, we we'd actually then updated Centrelink on, you know, how how this information should have been recorded. Then, um, to I suppose our surprise, and particularly the client's surprise, uh, about four months after this happened, um, when we'd gone to them with the error, uh, they both got a letter each from Centrelink, uh, saying that they both owed nearly sixteen and a half thousand dollars back to Centrelink each. So so it would have been nearly $33,000 that they had to pay back to Centrelink due to a, an error that Centrelink had actually made. Um, it, uh, so then we, we appealed these initial letters, but there, there's a first review process you go through um, where, where you can a, appeal a decision. And, and we went through the whole process of explaining everything that happened, everything we'd submitted, what, what had then happened from Centrelink's point of view, you know, what, why, why it necessarily hadn't, hadn't been picked up to start with. And anyway, on that um, initial review, the, the finding by Centrelink was still, um, again, in about an 18-page explanation we got back from them, it was still, no, nope, this is your fault, you should have picked it up, um, uh, we're upholding the decision. So then the next process you can go through is going to a tribunal where an independent party, not, not an employee of Centrelink, um, hears, I suppose, both sides of the, of the, the argument. Um, this is something that takes several months um, to actually even get sort of booked in and get in, in front of a, a tribunal to be able to do this. So we, we prepared a lot of information for that and had the, had the tribunal meeting and, and put, I suppose, our case forward. So the great result at the end of the day was the, the tribunal found that, um, no, look, Centrelink was in the wrong. They, they had actually originally caused the error. Um, it wasn't reasonable to think that the, the client should have picked it up um, uh, because they, they thought in their own minds that everything had been recorded. Um, so, yeah, th- those clients were obviously very, you know, happy and, and very relieved that all of a sudden they didn't owe uh, $33,000 to, uh, to Centrelink. And, um, again, it was, it was a, a long 
process to get that resolved. It took nearly 12 months until we actually got to that final uh, final decision. And again, it was about just trying to deal with Centrelink in, in the right way as best we could, giving them as much information um, as we could and and making sure, you know, yeah, you, you, you're talking to, to them about the right the right issues and, and putting the right argument forward. So, um, yep, yeah, sometimes I do get frustrated with, uh, with, with Centrelink. Um, but, um, and, and I think like all institutions, they don't, they don't try to make mistakes, but, but just cause it's a very large organization, m- mistakes can definitely happen. Yeah, I think frustrated mm. is the understatement of the day. <laughs> I'm about four, four rooms away and I reckon I heard one of those conversations. He's like a dog, like a dog with a bone. Oh, absolutely oh, is. Mate, that's been uh, really good, but, you know, and we've touched on a whole bunch of things, mainly around age pension, Centrelink dealings and superannuation. But, you know, as we said at the beginning, 27 years of doing this, what, what, are, you th- what are some common tips that you could give people who may be listening, who either who, who possibly haven't had financial advice or are thinking about financial advice about the benefit of going through or seeing seeing a planner in some way, shape, or form that can change and improve their world. Oh, definitely. I think no matter whether someone is just starting out or, or it's even someone who's already been fairly successful and has, has accumulated some assets or or what have you, I think there's many different parts to the advice process or just even areas that can be covered by an advisor that give that give people um, value. So part of it is um, having a plan and, and and being able to refer back to something and, and you know sticking to 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 a plan. Obviously plans can evolve over time, but it's about having something to to refer back to, to know, I suppose, sort of give you an idea of where you are now and, and where you want to get to. As we said before, there's lots and lots of information available on the internet now. There's, you know, there's things on social media and and what have you. And that's all great. And it does give people a certain amount of information. But um, the the ability to actually have a, a set a set plan and, and have someone um, helping you stick to that, uh, that's a huge factor in, in people actually um, getting an, uh, to where they want to be and, and achieving the goals they want to achieve. And we think, you know, that, that's very hard to do without an advisor. There, there are some people that might be able to do that themselves. But I think, you know, um, having, that, having that plan and, and, and looking at and, and reviewing that plan over time is a really important part of that because, Someone might Google something and, and think, oh, yeah, I'll invest in this fund because I think it's going to give me a good long-term return. And so they think, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'll just start putting some money away. And that's, you know, that, that might be their plan in their own head. The problem is um, if they're just doing that themselves, often, you know, something will come up or markets will have a bit of a fall or, or other factors that might happen. And often the first thing they'll do is withdraw the money back out of that fund. Uh, we, we see that happen all the time. Um, so, you know, one of one of the, the common things where we add value where people don't necessarily realise is actually saving people from bad decisions. Um, you know, we, we realise people get, get stressed when, you know, markets go down or something changes in a person's life or their overall financial situation. And it's about guiding them and, and making sure they're making the, the right decisions or 
something that's not, um, um, yeah, decisions based on emotions. So, you know, again, that's, that's I think, where we add value and, and we can can really help people there. I think you, I think you touched yeah. on it on those two examples yeah. that you, you said mm. earlier. One of the, I think the big areas that they, they sat down with mm. your, the, the two mm. long-term clients that mm. you had that have moved through retirement, mm. they, they set themselves goals. But mm. you can set a goal and you can set a goal. It's like, mm. like anything. You, you've really got to, and I think that's where we help. It's, you can say, oh, yeah, I want to retire at 60 and just it's a throwaway comment. But you've got, really got to sort of know that you that's what you want. It's like, yeah, everyone at, um, you know, New Year's Eve, you have New Year's <laughs> resolution, I'm going to get fit. And after two <laughs> weeks, you're not getting fit anymore. You're back on the beers and <laughs> doing all that sort of stuff. So it's really getting a good understanding what that goal is. And then, like you said, when these other investment options come up mm. that will for the people, we can sit with them and say, well, how is this going to fit yep. in with your your long-term goal? I think I'll oh, yeah. the nail on the head there in regards to the, to the goals. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. I think, you know, it's working with and, and having somebody as a sounding board, right? Mm-hmm. It's, yep. I mean, tennis is tennis is your sport. Um, it's a, I mean, on from the outside, in most cases, people see it as a very individual sport, right? Because there's, you know, Novak on one side of the neck and Rafa on the other, but they don't do it by themselves either, right? It's about having a network of mm. people and, and getting through, so you've got someone that can sound that off, right? Um, so, mate, that's that's been really awesome. Time flies, you know. It's been a, it's been a good chat, and um, we've been poking along, but we better we better wrap it up. But at some point, we've got plenty of other things that we could talk about um, over a period of time. So we might do a follow up conversation down the track and get into the detail of maybe, you know, some things that have not gone so well and 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 what could have happened to improve that over time. So. Awesome. Thank you, Horny. Thanks thanks for coming in, mate. We'll definitely get back on. And, um, yeah, it's been great, buddy. No, thank you very much for having me on. Thank you. <laughs> now, as always, everyone, head to the Wealth Radar Facebook page. Let us you know uh, your thoughts on today's chat. Throw some questions in. Plenty of questions for Horny. He'll respond to you. We'll cover that. If there's any topics you want us to talk about, please let us know. Um, and don't forget to like it on whatever platform you're listening <laughs> to this podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks very much. We'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and the information contained is of a general nature and may not be relevant to your particular circumstances. The circumstances of each investor are different and you should seek advice from a professional financial advisor who can consider if particular strategies and products are right for you. In all instances where information is based on historical performance, it is important to understand this is not a reliable indicator of future performance. You should not rely on any material on this podcast to make investment decisions and should seek professional advice. Fowler's Group ABN 5710524484 is an authorised representative number 230575 and credit representative number 403265 of FYG Planners Propriety Limited ABN 5509497240 Australian Financial Services and credit licence number 224543.